You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. If, 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 if your blood runs orange and blue, orange and blue, blue this, this is the pod, is the pod for, you. for you. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. Things look a lot different for the Knicks now that we're back in New York City. At least we hope. This is Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast hosted by myself and Tommy Beer. The series now in New York City, tied 1-1. Knicks host the Cavs. Game 3 is on Friday, so we'll give you guys full preview of that game. We'll give you guys keys to a Knicks win, matchups to watch, and also what to expect from what is going to be an absolutely electric crowd over at Madison Square Garden on Friday. So it really should be a fun weekend of basketball here in the city. So we got Knicks and Cavs game three to talk about. We'll also talk about um an interesting survey that was uh, put out there by The Athletic. They surveyed a bunch of NBA players, asking them various different questions. And some Knicks uh, were, were near the top or at the top of some very unscrupulous lists among NBA players. And we'll discuss that as well. And... This is uh, another week in Nick history, so we're going to talk about someone that I love talking about, one of my favorite Knicks of all time, Alan Houston, because as we record on April 20th, this is Alan Houston's 52nd birthday. So happy birthday to Alan Houston. We'll talk about his career, and we'll talk about a former Nick great head coach that then became a Nick villain and, and some uh, a feat that he made also during this week in Nick's history. So should be a good podcast. Tommy joins me as always. Tommy, how you do? How you feeling? We got game three coming up. It's a big one. This is a big episode. It's a big game for the Knicks. Biggest game of the season uh, so far. Bro, you just told me Allen Houston's 52, so I feel old, number one. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, you know, uh, we're recording this um, on the eve of a, of a, a significant uh, game, um, one of the most important games uh, the Knicks have played in quite some time. Um, a lot of juice, a lot of excitement, a lot of anticipation uh, surrounding a game three. So uh, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Exactly. So this is, again, Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast, Odyssey WFA and Original, a podcast you can get wherever you get your podcasts, including the free Odyssey app. Make sure you get the auto-download feature on your streaming service um, so you can get these episodes every time we drop. This will be dropped three times a week, so this will be the last episode we dropped this week. So make sure you guys... Uh, hit that auto download feature on your streaming service. So, um, and also make sure you check us on YouTube as well. You can find us on the Odyssey Sports channel as well as the WFAN channel uh, on YouTube as well. And that's where you can get the video podcast and the video segments from this show. So, the series has officially shifted to New York this weekend as the Knicks get set to host the Cavs for game three at Madison Square Garden. Both teams split the first two games with the Knicks stealing game one in Cleveland and the Cavs cruising to a blowout win in game two. So, here are the important numbers when you come into a game three of a best of seven series in the 2-2-1-1-1 format. Um, after splitting the first two games of a seven-game series, there's a 76% chance of winning the series if you win game three. Um, those teams that win game three after a split in the first two games are 227 and 69 overall. Um, lower seeds that win game three after splitting the first two games on the road have a 56% chance of advancing past uh, this round. Um, they are 46 and 36 over the course of the entire NBA history in the 2-2-1-1-1 format. So that is what is on the line for the Knicks. Uh, overall, 76% chance of winning the series and 
for their predicament being a team that has the lower seed, a 56% chance of winning the series. So this is one of the crucial games. This is uh, when you're talking about the seven game series, the series that go long game three, and game five, oftentimes they're kind of the, the shift where the series happens. So uh, as we come into this game, uh, Tommy, what is your uh, one major key to a Knicks victory? Um, I think if we're going to pick one, we'll go with take care of the basketball. Um, mm. It was one of the, you know, one of the keys to the Knicks success all season long. Um, they're not the best shooting team, um, but they shoot well enough. They're not the, you know, they're, they're one of the better, you know, rebounding teams and they, they certainly rebound well enough. That's another key. Um, you know, they're not, uh, you know, they, they're not a great passing team, but they pass the ball well enough. What they do really well is take care of the basketball and, um, a very small sample size, obviously just two games, but the Knicks currently lead the lead all teams in the postseason in turnover rate um, mm. over 18 percent. The only team in the NBA doing such. Um, uh, so that's something that they really need to tighten up, um, you know, lock down on. Um, again, we know that the Cavs going to play elite on the defensive end of the floor where you need to, you can't have unforced errors. A lot of those turnovers have also been live ball turnovers, which lead to transition buckets for the Cavs. Um, and many of them have been unforced errors. So those are things that that the Knicks need to clean up. Um, we'll get into some matchups and some other stuff. But if I just had to pinpoint, um, seems like kind of a mundane, you know, topic. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, in a game that, you know, could be, you know, likely will be a, you know, a two, three or one possession game, five point game um, late in the fourth quarter. Um, each possession matters. So the Knicks need to make the most of their possessions. Yeah, I like I like the turnover conversation being the one to start, because I agree that has been one of their strengths this season. And one of the reasons why. When we talk about why their offensive efficiency and offensive rating has been so high, uh, one of the highest in NBA history, which seems incredible considering we don't look at the Knicks as a high-powered offense per se, um, a lot of that has to do with the fact that they don't turn the ball over. Um, they get not only do they, they get shots on every possession most of the time, they also get offensive rebounds. This also adds to that offensive efficiency. So you're right. If they they they're gonna win this game, they're gonna have to keep the turnovers down, uh, especially in the half court. Um, but that point kind of leaves me saying with the team kind of theme with this situation, you're talking about uh, turnovers uh, before we get to individuals. I think the Knicks got to get back into their running game. Um, I thought it was a big key to their really strong first half in game one. And Josh Hart talked about it at halftime. The Knicks, uh, 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 I believe, I don't know who did the halftime. Someone did the halftime interview with uh, with uh, with uh, Rebecca Harlow on the Knicks MSG. But I think one of his coaches also talked about the fact that they had to run. It might have been Dice who did it. But um, that it was, I thought, a, a major key because Cleveland has such a strong half-court defense. Um, expecting to score on them consistently and, 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 and not turn the ball over consistently against that defense could be a tall order because we saw how effective they were in game two. So I think the Knicks, if they're going to uh, win this game, they're going to have to make sure they get some easy baskets in transition. That's where I'm looking at Obi Toppin getting in transition. R.J. Barrett's got to get the ball in transition. We know Josh Hart is a missile going to the basket in transition. And and I think some of the struggles he had in game two was because there were no transition opportunities or the Knicks, they, Knicks didn't really look for them. In order to do that, you need to do a couple of things. You need to uh, rebound the ball well, which Knicks normally do, but didn't do that great in game uh, game two. And two, you have to cause turnovers on the, on the defensive end. So with the Knicks defense, they're also going to have to be a little more aggressive and turn off the heat. We saw what Cleveland did in game two. This is going to have to return the favor in game three. But I think the Knicks, uh, a major key to this game will have to be uh, getting some points in transition because they got pretty much none, it seemed like, in that uh, in that, uh, in that that last game. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's a really good point. And it leads to the fact you the Knicks are in trouble when they let the Cavs set up uh, their half-court defense and they have to operate against that half-court. We, we know about the defenders they have on the perimeter. Um, we saw that the, the, the better job that um, Karis LeVert did um, uh, defensively on Jalen Brunson. Um, so that, you know, that, that kind of, you know, gummed up the works a little bit for, yeah. for um, the Knicks offensive attack. Um, and in, so definitely getting out in transitions a one way to avoid, to, to uh, prevent the Cavs from setting up their daunting defense with the twin towers back there um, defending the rim. Um, 
And another thing, to you know, along those same lines of a team offensive concepts, um, because I think we both agree, defensively, the Knicks have been fine in this series. Um, you know, yeah. Mitchell went off in the first game, but they kept everybody else in check. Um, you know, Garland obviously had up the big game in, in game two, um, but the Knicks only gave up 107 points. Um, yeah, Knicks, second half, I thought they guarded really well. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, during the regular season, I think they were 18 and one when they held opponents under 108 points, something like that. Um, obviously, you know, you hold a team to 107 points, you give yourself a chance to win. Um, it's on the offensive side of the ball. Um, so in that kind of big picture, um, making quicker decisions when the Cavs blitz Jalen Brunson top of the key um, near the half court line. Those are when Brunson, it's something we've talked about on yesterday's pod. Um, so if you missed it, definitely go back and check it out. Yeah. Um, we kind of talked about that specific, that, that specific um, offensive concept when if they, they, they blitz hard off the doubles, Brunson one has to do a better job of making quicker decisions, less dribbling, trying to dribble around guys, um, kick it to the uh, the open the open uh, player, whether that's Mitchell Robinson at the top of the key or at the nail, um, or, or or more importantly, I think um, skip the ball to the opposite side of the floor um, and, and give some some players some opportunities to score that way. In addition, um, I'd like to see IQ and Brunson play a little bit more together. Um, and this way, have Brunson have have IQ as the initial uh, as the initiator of the offense, and have Brunson kind of play off the ball a little bit more, where he can catch the ball uh, on the wing, foul line extended, throw a pump fake, and get into the lane and kind of do his thing, or knock down threes. Um, but don't re- rely so specifically, um, and don't become so ISO uh, Brunson dependent um, that it's to the detriment of the, the team as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I really was frustrated with how Brunson started that game. Um, I, I I think I tweeted it as soon as it was happening. I was like, Brunson's got to move the ball. So that was – if I didn't tweet, I know I definitely texted my dad because uh, we would always talk back and forth during these games. And I think that was the first thing I tweeted. Like, Brunson's got to pass. Like, what's going on? So, yeah, I think they got to get these other guys involved. Like, I think um, uh, one of the, the X factors or, you know, key players, I think, in this game will be Emmanuel Quickly. I know he did get – some baskets against, you know, garbage time players in the fourth quarter. So, man, his numbers look way better than he played. He did not have – he had another really bad game. But, like, they really need him to get going. Like, you saw what Cal Savert did for the Cavs and how that really kind of changed how they looked entirely offensively. In that first game, it was basically, you know, Diamond Mitchell and a little bit of Darius Garland. That was it offensively. Once you add Garland playing the way he was and then you add, you know, Cal Savert not giving you 24 – it just kind of shifted everything defensively. It made things a lot harder for the Knicks. So I think if the Knicks are going to return the favor, I know I'm almost confident that Brunson and Randall will answer the bell and have a good game three. There's got to be someone else in that mix, and it's got to be Emmanuel Quickly. He's been the guy for this whole second half of the season. I, one, thing, one thing about Quickly, I mean, I, I, I kind of laughed when I thought of it. Um, if he struggles again in game three, try to sign him to a contract extension, like in the first five minutes after the game ends, you know, <laughs> or, or even before the start of game three. I know, right? Bounce back, you know, give me, listen, quick, you, you know, you're struggling in the playoffs. We'll give you a four-year deal, but only at the league minimum, you know. We'll, 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 <laughs> it, it, maybe we'll give you $10 million, you know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, that's, yeah, I guess. They should, I guess they should have put off of that contract at halftime in game two. <laughs> exactly. We would have been in great shape. Exactly. I guess that's the only bright side to the quickly struggles. If you're looking for one, um, if he does continue to struggle inexplicably the rest of the series, I don't think it'll happen. Um, but maybe get a little discount on the extension this summer. And like, it's so weird. Like one thing I will say, I do credit Cleveland. Like they have definitely quickly is very high on this kind of report to me clearly because the, yes. the attention to detail and the intense ball pressure they're putting on him, I think yes. is, I think it surprised him. I, yes. I, don't, I think he's used to being lower on the depth chart and kind of being able to, you know, kind of so take teams by surprise with his aggressive offense. Um, that possession where Garland was all over him and he got trapped and had to just throw the ball away, that kind of set the tone, I thought, for how the rest of that game was going to go in game two. The game was tied at that point. It was 22-22. It would go lead to a leak out. Eventually it ends in a crash over three to end the quarter, and that kind of was yeah. where – Cleveland started rolling, but that's the kind of defense he's seen from everybody that's guarded him. Karis LeVert actually was his primary defender in game one, and I thought that LeVert was doing a great job on him in that game, even though LeVert couldn't score. So that uh, physicality, the length, um, and the ball pressure they're putting on quickly uh, has really bothered him, and I I think he's also been a little gun-shy going at those bigs. He's got to be more aggressive because he's so good at drawing fouls, too. Um, Even if he can just get these guys to get him back to the free throw line, he could cause havoc, you know. I think what I want to see 
because of the way the rotation have gone with Randall coming out so early in the game, which has been so jarring, I've liked it actually. Like I think that I like seeing Obi get earlier in the game and get a mix with some of those starters, get some of those transition baskets. So I actually think it's that's why they played so well in game one. But I would like to see quickly get more time with Brunson. Because what I've seen in that rotation is because quickly is coming in so late, they're letting Brunson play basically 11 minutes of the first quarter, and then yeah. he's coming in for Brunson. Normally the sub is he's coming in for RJ. That's how it's been. Um, and now that's not the case. Or Grimes, whichever one. And because that switch has happened, now he comes in and he comes to league guard. Normally it's been fine, but he's been struggling in, in, with this rotation so far. I like to see him get out there with Brunson, so therefore he can play against a secondary defender. And maybe he can get some spot up opportunities. So it's not so much pressure on him to create his own offense. We know he can, but right now he's struggling. I think that that would be an adjustment I would make here. Uh, maybe you go OB first, but then instead of taking out uh, Brunson in the 11 minute mark, or maybe going with Josh Hart so early, maybe you go to quickly first and see if you can get him going before you go to Josh Hart. We know Josh Hart, whenever he gets in, he's going to do what he does. And I, I think he's, I think he's kind of unflappable in that regard. So that'd be a tweet that I would see the rotation. I don't know if Tim's going to do it. But that'd be one thing I'd look at. I also want to see Deuce McBride play. I said it uh, yesterday's podcast as well. I think, given how quick and how dynamic their guards are, I think you got to be able to steal, you know, five to ten minutes in this game of McBride picking up those guys full court and and just wearing those guys out. They're gonna have to play a lot of minutes. Their their bench is going now to like almost eight, almost really seven men. So they got to be able to wear these guys down. The Knicks have the depth advantage. And we got a guy with McBride who's an A-plus defender. I think you got to find a way to run him out there against Mitchell and Garland. So those would be some of the adjustments I'd like to see to the rotation. Will it happen? With Tibbs, who knows? Totally agree. Um, two things. Um, Thibodeau, uh, just uh, some of the beat writers are reporting from yes. practice day. We're recording this at one around 1.30 uh, Thursday afternoon. Um, Thibodeau says Randall's ready to go back to his usual rotation. Um, okay. uh, he's been subbing out five ish. This is Fred Katz. He's been subbing out five ish minutes into the first quarters for conditioning reasons. Um, so it sounds like Randall will play his typical, usual allotment of, of first quarter minutes. So, um, that may lead to, as you mentioned, um, uh, IQ coming a little bit earlier because they're going to push back Obi's entrance to the game. Um, but uh, hopefully we should still see some Obi. He inexplicably only played uh, six minutes um, in game two. So hopefully um, he'll get some, he'll, he'll maintain some, some additional, his playing time. Um, and the other thing, yes. Um, uh, the, I, I think depth is a very important issue um, because a very unique situation here. Um, we know about uh, much has been made about the gap in between games one and two, the gap in between games uh, two and three. Now we go Friday, relatively late tip, 830 Eastern time. Games not going to end until 11 o'clock or whatever. Yeah. Then Sunday at one o'clock. Um, so wh while not a back to back, that's as close to a back to back as you're going to get in the postseason. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we know about the Cavs re relying heavily on their core four, you know, their, their main four guys, um, and, and, and Levert also playing around 30 minutes. Um, if those guys, you know, if, if Mitchell and Garland and Mobley and Allen play 40 plus minutes a night, um, how fresh are they going to be? Um, on, uh, you know, come Sunday afternoon. So that's something to, to keep in mind. And again, to your point, um, uh, throw throw McBride out there, try to wear these guys out, run healthy bodies, fresh bodies, press Garland 94 feet, um, IQ pick them up 94 feet, McBride pick them up 94 feet, really try to wear these guys down, you know, make it a grind just to get the ball up the court. It also delays their installation of their offense once they cross half court. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, we talked about it uh, on Wednesday's pod, but again, I think it's a really important point to reiterate. They got to get Quentin Grimes more involved in the offense. Um, Grimes wasn't a good player towards the end of the season. He was he was playing at a really high level. Final nine games of the regular season, averaged 22 points while shooting 54% from the floor and 48% from downtown. Um, dude had two field goal attempts in game two. For the series, he's averaging three field goal attempts. He's yet to attempt the shot inside the arc. Um, mm. This has to be a they, – the Knicks have to prioritize – getting Grimes involved. Um, you know, it, you know, we, we, we heard for two days uh, and Garland wanted to tell everybody after game two, everyone yelled at me, shoot the ball, be aggressive, you know, right. and while Grimes is not nearly on the level yet of, of a Garland type offensive threat, we've seen 
over the last month of the regular season. This wasn't a two-game sample size. Um, over the second half of the season, and particularly the last month of the same, uh, of the regular season, yeah, he was a very valuable contributor. Scored, scored efficiently, distributed the ball well, got into the paint, collapsed the defense, found iHeart for dunks, <clears throat> found Mitchell Robinson for dunks, found Randall for dunks. Um, you know, create easy baskets. Um, that's something that the Knicks need. Um, and, uh, those shots have to come from somewhere. So, you know, Barrett, if he continues to be inefficient, not only should his minutes get cut, um, he should, he should log less than 30 minutes, but also while he's on the floor, um, you know, some of his shot attempts should be real allocated to Grimes as well. So I think that's a really, really important part going forward. Uh, you know, and, and, and again, yeah. we, we talked about it Wednesday, this is not, it's no buddy, buddy, you know, he's, he's, he's our third round, you know, he's a third overall pick. He's only 22. We think he's, you know, he's been a really good guy in the locker room. All that's out the window. Now, this is the most important game of the season. Um, it's do or die. You, you know, if a guy's not performing, bump him to the bench. Um, you know, and I'm not saying take him out of the starting lineup, but drastically reduce his minutes. Yeah, I mean, we saw what happened to Isaac Okoro. That guy played three minutes, and he was it was it was curtains. He had the Alfred Payton treatment. I mean, exactly. Like, and Okoro's a top five pick himself. So right, you, exactly. You you got to do what you got to do in situations like this. We know Barrett has the ability to contribute, um, but he needs to do it in order to stay on the floor. And on the the Grimes point, I think as you know, you know, you talked about how people in Cleveland, everybody was yelling at Garland to you know be aggressive, shoot the ball. I think everybody in New York needs to be talking to everybody in the starting line that's not Quinn Grimes, saying, "Hey, get Quinn Grimes the ball," <laughs> you know, saying like because Grimes like he's not even getting chances to be a, a threat offensively. Like he's not even getting looked, and it's crazy because when he those two shots he took, I thought were rushed. I think part yes. of it was because he was like, "I don't know, I'm getting the ball back," so yeah. I'm letting it fly. So, like, a lot of that, that entire team, and I'm hoping they're seeing it in the film, is that they got to find these other guys in the offense to get them going. Like, when I think about how, why the Knicks struggled so mightily against Atlanta, it was because they had too many ducks. It was like, if it wasn't Randall, you throw the ball to a guy, and they were not a threat to do anything offensively, which is why Atlanta was able to just key in entirely on Randall. We saw in the last game, like I said, that I thought that the Cavs would do, what they were going to blitz they were going to try to get the ball out of Jalen Brunson's hands, which is what they were trying to do. Brunson was still trying to shoot anyway. He was going to shoot out of it. But, like, in those situations, when that happens, they got to be able to get the ball to Grimes, get the ball to these other guys, and get these guys involved. So, for the Knicks, I think so much of it, yes, it's got to be on Grimes. He's got to be aggressive when he gets it. But they got to actually give him the ball and give him, get him an opportunity to actually make plays because they can't have it be just Randall and Brunson and then that's it. Like they, they're not going to win if that's that's how the series is going to go. 100%. To your point, um, good uh, tweet from Benji Ritzholtz here. Um, over two games, uh, over the first two games of the series, uh, Grimes is averaging 24 minutes, um, but he's averaging just 22.5 touches per game. It's the lowest average touches for any playoff player average uh, playing 22 minutes a game um, and the third low is for anyone averaging 20, 20 plus Knicks have to get the ball to the second side. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it again, if, if the Knicks weren't blitzing Brunson, it wasn't as big a deal because, you know, but now that they are, they especially have to focus on skipping the ball. Um, and, and that when that defense collapses and overloads the one side of the floor, you got to get, that's another reason to get the ball to Grimes. Um, it just makes basketball sense. And real quickly, as we move the series to New York, what do you expect from the Garden crowd? I mean, it's been now, you know, a year removed from missing the playoffs and having that Atlanta series where we saw those first two games in Madison Square Garden were completely unhinged in some ways. In some ways, you know, one idiot, you know, took it too far with it, spitting on yeah. a young incident, of course. But beyond that, um, it was an absolutely electric, awesome crowd. We saw how Sacramento – was the first two games with that crowd uh, with the Kings. What are you expecting from the Garden crowd? I'm sure you think it's going to be quite a quite a scene there. Yeah, definitely. I was uh, in the building for that first game against the Hawks, um, and not only was it the Knicks' first appearance in the postseason um, since 2013, but it was also kind of the first full. I think it was the first game at full capacity after COVID. So it was just like a yeah. it was like a, a release of. of angst and anger and happy and joy. So it was, it was all that stuff mixed up into one. Um, the only downside for, you know, comparing Knicks, you know, the garden crowds to previous crowds and even 15, 20, 25 years ago is that the the common fan has been priced out of the arena. Yeah. Um, 
the, the initial ticket prices are exorbitant um, for the postseason, and it's very difficult to get in on those. You know, those they sell out quickly. Um, secondary secondary markets, a thousand dollars, eight hundred dollars, seven hundred dollars a ticket. Um, so it's really difficult for um, you know, I don't want to say true fans, but fans without means um, to to go to each game and sit close to the action. Um, that being said, there will be plenty of Nick fans in and around the Garden. Um, the, the Garden will be extremely loud, fired up. Um, they understand the importance of this contest. They've been waiting a long time um, to watch their favorite team play in a game with meaning. Um, and again, you know, uh, it's not only, you know, just game three on the line. It's, it, has, it portends significantly for the rest of the series. Um, who knows what's going on with that Milwaukee-Miami series, although uh, the Bucks got an important victory. Looks like they'll get Giannis yep. back in game three and, and should be able to essentially cruise to victory. Um, but still, you never know. Um, that, and that's, that's the beauty of, of uh, you know, of uh, uh, this time of year um, because you just put yourself in position and, you know, somebody sprains an ankle and all of a sudden you have a path to the, uh, to the Eastern conference yeah. finals. Um, but yeah, listen, Jalen Brunson's first um, home playoff game as a Nick uh, Josh Hart's first career home playoff game. Um, a lot of cool stuff going on. I expect the garden to react and, and, and encourage and lift up guys like IQ and Grimes and Barrett um, because RJ has a ton of supporters and, 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 you know, people are tweeting, you're, you're an RJ hater. Yada, yada. Listen, nobody, everybody would like Barrett to play. Well, the reality, right. we, we have to deal with reality. And if he's not a net positive, he's not contributing to winning basketball. Knicks have to go in an opposite direction. Yeah, no, that's the, again, like, that's a weird thing about, like, you know, people have their favorites on their team. Like, I understand yeah. it. Like, I've said on the show, we top my favorite player on the Knicks. Like, I, I'm not afraid of saying that. But, like, at the end of the day, I think everybody wants the Knicks to win basketball games and to <laughs> succeed overall. So, we're saying, hey, a guy isn't getting it done. needs something needs done. It's not, it doesn't mean you hate the guy. It just means that something has to be done because the team is not winning and in part because of their performance. It's not all on RJ. Um, I've, I don't know how many times I've said Emmanuel quickly needs to play a lot better. And in some ways I think quickly struggles have exacerbated Barrett struggles. Like, but like, because when Barrett has struggled like this, normally what happens is quickly picks up the slack. He gives you 18 or 20 and you're like, all right, Nick's won that game. Cause quickly was great. But like RJ needs to pick it up. Like the fact that you're not getting that for quickly makes now Barrett being inconsistent or not not being efficient it, it stands out more because it's like you cannot have a starter getting that many shots in that many minutes and essentially giving you nothing in terms of offense so so that's that's what it is i i you know i got a lot of love for rj i know, I know we, we all want to see rj succeed but this is the playoffs and it's about getting to the uh, next round that's all that matters at this point so nicks Cavs, a 8 30 by the way i, I do gotta say one thing too because you said two things one on the the, the 8 30 start they got a – it's a Friday, so it's a little different, but Charles Brockie said it a couple of days ago because the Denver Nuggets game started at 10.30 for a Mountain Time team. That's an 8.30 start there during a school night in the middle of the week. NBA has to do a better job with some the start times of these games. I know that you have some Western Conference teams like Memphis that are, you know, essentially East teams basically because they're in the central time zone, but uh, there have been too many really late stars. There was a 10.30 Sunday night Nuggets game. Like, they got to fix this. <laughs> And Minnesota, which means it was nine right. Minnesota time. What if you're a right. ten year old kid that's a burgeoning, you know, that's a big Timberwolves fan? You gotta ask you, you know, can you maybe stay up for the first quarter of the most important game of the year? It's crazy, man. And not, yeah. not to mention the fact there are two must see games on TV tonight that the East Coast is not gonna see. The the Kings Warriors game, fascinating game. We've talked about Draymond and all that stuff. Yeah. That, that tips off at ten. Um, and then you have the uh, Phoenix LA game, and uh, that's that doesn't start till ten thirty. Um, and, and it, that's the scheduled start times. So who knows if it starts at 1037 or 1045 yeah. or 1051. Um, so I totally agree with you. Good point. I, I meant to mention that as well. They, the NBA has got to do something to, to, to work around that. Yeah. And it's weird. Cause I feel like major league baseball does a great job with how they time out the game. They have day games during the week. Yep. And yep. like maybe in 1999, maybe right. it's harder to do that kind of thing. In 2023, people can stream games on their phone. People work at home and watch tv people work at their office and watch games at their office like yeah. i just don't think that needing to play in prime time for all of your games is necessary i'm not saying that you shouldn't have a certain slates that are you know in 7 30 8 30 10 o'clock slots but right. it shouldn't be every game we start has to start no earlier than seven like have a game that starts at 5 p.m on a thursday yeah. that's not that big a deal have a game that starts at four on a friday have a game starts at 4 p.m a lot of yep. people get off work early anyway. 
I guarantee you'll sell out. It's not going to affect ticket sales at all. Like that is something they got to fix. And then on the other thing I want to mention on the tick price, ticket prices, that is one of the very unfortunate things. And it's funny. I was talking to my girlfriend about it because, you know, she's a big Beyonce fan and getting these Beyonce tickets has been a disaster for a lot of Beyonce fans. And what's happening is a lot of people are deciding, yo, I'm just going to go to, you know, Switzerland or go to, uh, you know, the new Amsterdam, you know, uh, Holland or go to like, you know, Amsterdam and watch it there because, you know, there's, uh, there's laws in place where you can't charge but so much for tickets to any venue or any show or any sporting event. And, you know, I know, you know, our politicians are, you know, probably not in a position because of their conflicting interests to do something about it, which sucks for us American fans. But that is something that is a problem because it shouldn't be a situation where somebody has to, you know, pay basically give up their, their, their total rent for a month to go to a Knicks playoff game that, that, that just should not happen. Yeah, I mean, how many 15-year-old kids are going to get to go to a, a Knicks game? You know, unless your parents are really wealthy, um, not too many. And and to, to, to your point, the fact that it's cheaper to get a plane ticket, fly to a, a foreign country to watch a concert than it is to, to watch it at the Garden when you live three miles away is insanity. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I'm not, not in the business of giving money props to Cleveland right now because, you know, we're all in the same, uh, you know, what's so good about Cleveland, uh, you know, energy right now. But, like, my homie uh, Big Zoo, shout out to Big Zoo at WFAN. Like he's like, yo, I'm seeing tickets for Cleveland Cavs game, twenty nine dollars to get in to see Cavs versus Knicks. He's like, should I take the flight to Cleveland? I know that's gonna be cheap, and right. just go to the game there. It's like that that you shouldn't. It shouldn't be a situation where flying to Cleveland and buying tickets to the Cavs game is uh, way less expensive than taking a Metro card, but then yep. having to pay the eight hundred dollars to get into Madison Square Garden. Like that, something's not right there, and. Um, I hope somebody does something about it. I, I'm not, I'm not holding my breath, but it just, right. I'm hoping maybe the Knicks continue to get more playoff appearances. Maybe this becomes more of an issue and something, somebody does something about it. But uh, again, eight 30 start Cavs, Knicks game three, man, it's going to be absolutely awesome. I cannot wait to see uh, what energy the garden is on. Cause that's going to be a lot of fun. So other stories happening this week. Uh, I thought this was very fascinating. This was from the athletic. So they did their survey, I think they do this every year, where they ask certain NBA players various different questions regarding the NBA season, regarding just the NBA as a whole, um, asking about certain players, certain coaches, certain organizations, certain fan bases, a lot of interesting nuggets that came out of this. Um, they released a survey, and Knicks coach Tom Thibodeau, when they asked who was the most uh, undesirable coach to play for, who's the coach you least want to play for? Thibodeau came in at a whopping 43%. He came in first place. That was well above the second place earner in this survey. This was Steven Silas, who was recently fired by the Houston Rockets. He came in at 14%. So you're talking about a 30% gap between Tom Thibodeau as the coach that players least want to play for and the next guy, a guy who's now not in the NBA anymore. (laughs) So now you got to go even further to find the next coach who's the most the least desirable beside Tom Thibodeau. So that was certainly eye-opening for me. Other notes in this poll, so they also asked players who's the most overrated player in the NBA. Now, to be fair, the highest vote-getter was other. So I don't even know how that worked, but other was the highest vote-getter. But of players that were named, one was Trey Young. Fascinating. Um, but tied for second was Julius Randle and Pascal Siakam of the Raptors, both earning... R.J. Barrett also was listed among these players of most overrated. He came in seventh in that poll. Um, Some good news for Knicks fans if you want to see if there's any good news. Uh, Jalen Brunson was uh, rated fourth most underrated uh, in this poll. I think that also was one where number one was other, but then we went down from there. Drew Holiday was the player that was named as the most underrated player among people that were willing to name a player that was most underrated. So, Brunson seemed very underrated, so that was one thing. But Thibodeau, I think the one I really was surprised that, at least the the wide margin, uh, that he was the by far the most uh, coach that most people do not want to play for. Any of these results most surprising to you? Uh, I mean, it's not shocking. You know, you know the deal mm-hmm. with Tibbs. I think uh, you know if you're one of his guys, Randall, Derrick Rose, yep. Wild Dang, Todd um, Gibson. Taj Gibson, Joe Kim uh, Noah, Joe Kim Noah, 
um, you know, Reggie one Bullock, of, Reggie Mo- one of those guys, then you yeah. don't, then you vote for him. He's the, he's the guy you most want to play for. But, um, you know, I, 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 I didn't see the list of, of anonymous voters, but Cam Reddish might've been one, you know, so. <laughs> we, we, we they, gave, they, gave Cam, they gave Cam Reddish 10 votes. Like he finally <laughs> changed his name. He might've like, made vote again. Yeah, he might have mailed in his vote, then voted in in person. You know, <laughs> the, the uh, real voter fraud is happening in the fraud, athletic. Yeah, exactly, he might have, he might have <laughs> fiddled with the Dominion machines uh, to, 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 to just the voting. You know, um, so uh, but yeah, you know, like if Obi Toppin gets traded this summer, you know, and he gets asked about it, um, I I would I wouldn't be surprised if he listed Tibbs as well. You know, if you're if you're on the outside of his inner circle. Um, you know, and it's the, and it's the, the you know, he's, he's known for, for wearing guys down, et cetera. So, um, that's not shocking. Um, I was surprised at the, um, at that Siakam was one of the most overrated, um, because I, 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 I found that interesting. Also the Trey Young, um, uh, voting, you uh, will talk about it this off season, um, when we have more time, but the situation yeah. in Atlanta is, that's an interesting one. Um, and, and I wrote about it this morning, um, something that we had discussed earlier, just about um, giving credit to to Leon Rose um, and just kind of looking at all the signings and, you know, basically making the case. Because I looked at a few um, posts that talked about executive of the year and Tibbs wasn't even mentioned, like as one of the top four candidates, um, which, I, mm. which I found surprising. I mean, Leon Rose? Uh, Leon Rose, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, for executive of the year. Um, and just the whole Brunson, you know, you talk about Brunson fourth on this list and we've talked about Brunson a lot. Um, but, uh, two things about Brunson specifically, um, a little bit off topic, but his, his contracts descending, which means they'll get paid less year. And, and two years from now, he's going to make less than 25 million, which is around 17% of Knicks cap. Incredible. And the other thing is, yes, the Knicks needed a point guard, but there were a lot of Knicks fans that wanted, uh, Leon Rose to trade for DeJounte Murray. Um, you know, and so for the Knicks to not trade for Mitchell and not trade for Murray, but get Brunson without giving up any future assets. Um, yeah. but circling back to the Hawks and Trey Young, um, Knicks, uh, the Hawks gave up three future first round picks for Murray and a pick swap. And he's going to be an unrestricted free agent next summer. This is the last year of his contract. So, yeah. um, there is a, I, I don't know what the Hawks are going to do, but they need to shake things up. Um, and, and, uh, you know, it's it'll be very interesting summer in in, in Atlanta. I think Trey Young's name will get bandied about, which would be fascinating. Yeah, I mean Atlanta is a situation, a team that I think it was very weird because they got a lot of applause for the Dejounte Murray trade. But mm-hmm. what I kept asking during the off season was, as decent as I thought that trade was, I thought it was a good gamble. I just to me was like, where was the upside in terms of where they could go in the Eastern Conference? Right. It felt to me like when you ranked off the team that they were still around like seven, which is they were eight last year. Yeah. Uh, this year they were eight and then they moved up to seventh because they won a playing game. I didn't really see any upward mobility for them with that move because of everywhere else. East. Now, I didn't know that the um, Knicks would usurp them, that that, you know, dropped them down. So that hurt them in terms of where they were ranked. You know, you think next year, a full net season, maybe that they would be past them. But. Yeah, I think Atlanta's going to have a lot of questions asked. I know one thing, John Collins, if he's on that team again, he survives another offseason, that's going to be spectacularly shocking. He may or, be the only just, he may be the only hawk left after. after yeah, mind-boggling cuz this is a guy they've been trying to trade for like 5 seasons and somehow they've like signed him multiple times during this stretch too. It's really weird. Um but yeah, if he's still there after all of this, then that would be something. And uh, by the way, when it goes to the most overrated player, the other included uh, a combination of guys that were Deontay, uh, DeAndre Ayton, Bradley Beal, Patrick Beverly, Devin Booker, DeMar DeRozan, quote-unquote, the Grizzlies, Tyrese Halliburton, Tobias Harris, Killian Hayes, Zach Levine, Donovan Mitchell, Trey Murphy, Duncan Robinson, Tristan Thompson, Nikola Vucevic, Grant Williams, and Zion Williams. And they all each received one vote. So they combined those guys that got just one vote all into other. And that's why they that was number one. I know Tristan Thompson rather like, yo, I'm catching shrapnel on him on my day off here. Like, what? How, how I know, I yeah. I'm like, he, he just got re-signed in the NBA. He was not in the NBA, so uh, he was doing hits for NBA the uh, the jump or whatever that show is. Uh, what, what they call it now, uh, NBA Today, whatever they call it. Uh, Car- so one of the Kardashians must have had a ball. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, maybe Jordan Woods got a vote in there, and he was like, yeah, let me let me throw a shot at this guy. Ruined my entire whole bag with the Kardashians. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, that that yeah, that, so that was that whole situation. I do I do wonder. And I'll ask like, do you think that 
Tibbs's moniker is the most undesirable coach play for the NBA. Does that in any way hurt the Knicks regarding getting players or signing guys or making trades that people wanted to come to New York? I guess so. I mean, theoretically it could, but I, I don't, I don't put too much weight into it. Um, you know, again, these players are so fickle and they, they their desires change. R- remember uh, the reason uh, KD and Kyrie, one of the reasons KD and Kyrie went to Brooklyn was because of Kenny Atkinson and the culture and, right. you know, and, and six months later, they didn't feel like practicing. So Atkinson was out the window. Um, you know, if you, Tibbs helps the team win games. Now, um, if you're a rebuilding team, uh, if you're the Pistons, he's the last guy you want. Um, if you're the Lakers with LeBron in his prime, he's a guy you want. It just it depends on where you're at in times. You know, the Knicks, um, through the benefit, you know, Jalen Brunson certainly did not r- run. You know, one of the reasons no. he signed for New York, um, I'm sure. Yeah, was because of Tom Thibodeau. Was played for Tom Thibodeau, who has a relationship yeah. with his father and has a relationship with him since he was the Illinois High School Player of the Year um, uh, uh, during his high school days. So, um I don't. I, I wouldn't read too much into it again. You know, there's just a good. Uh, you know, there's just if 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 having Tibbs uh, influenced uh, Brunson's decision a little bit, that that reason alone is is reason to keep him. So yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't read too much into that. Yeah, I wouldn't either. I will say though, shout out to our producer uh, James Jackson. Jimmy was like, uh, you know, the players who voted for Tibbs probably pointed to Randall getting flipped upside down <laughs> in two minutes of applause and said, "Hey, yep. this is why." Yep. I don't need to be playing for that man. So, yep. um, yeah, it is what it is. I think Tibbs has a reputation of being kind of a hard ass. Um, it's very weird, though. I feel like the players that do play for him end up really speaking highly of him. Like, I feel like Cam Reddish is the only player I could think of that, like, would say bad things about Tibbs. So I think a lot of it is probably, like, through hearsay, through what they've seen. Do they see the, the press clipping? They see their girls get hurt, you know, who's idolized by a lot of these players in the NBA. They think, well, that was a coach that – ran Derrick Rose into the ground. So I, it seems like when once you kind of get to play for Tibbs, the, the players really seem to respect him. So I wouldn't buy so much into that in terms of uh, that. And also, like you said, these NBA players, I think they want to go where they want to go. And if the coach ain't the right guy for them, they'll just get the guy fired. That's just the way the NBA is. So I, I wouldn't worry so much about uh, what not to get guys because uh, they don't want to play for Tom Tibble, apparently. So um, we'll uh, wrap the show here talking about um, – this week in Knicks history is a little bit of a playoff edition of Knicks this week in Knicks history. And we started with on this day that we're recording, April 20th, 1971, future Knicks all-star Allen Houston was born. So happy birthday to Allen Houston, like I mentioned, uh, his 52nd birthday today. He's also a Knicks executive as well. So still part of the Knicks and, and what they're trying to build over there. So definitely want to give our shout out to Allen Houston. Played nine seasons with the Knicks, signed as a free agent in 96. Uh, he would go on to lead the team to an NBA Finals appearance in 1999, back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals appearances in 99 and 2000. He was a two-time All-Star with the Knicks, uh, averaged uh, 18.5 points a game while wearing the orange and blue. So happy birthday to Allen Houston. Also this week, April 22nd, I mentioned that uh, Nick Villain, that was once a Nick Hero, uh, Knicks coach Pat Riley at this time, uh, became the 11th coach in NBA history to reach 700 wins after the Knicks beat the Bucs in Milwaukee. Uh, 125 85. So they beat down the Bucks that season. Um, Riley would later on that season lead the Knicks to a finals appearance. And then he had just one more year in, in New York before bolting to Miami. So those are some of your big uh, this week in Knicks history notes, starting with Allen Houston. Do you feel like Allen Houston is an underrated Nick? I know we've talked a lot about underrated and overrated stuff because of the athletic survey. What do you think of Allen Houston and where he stands among the Nick greats? I do actually. Um, you know, you asked. Nick fans, even like hardcore Nick fans, who's the top four scorers in Nick's history, they'll give you Patrick Willis and Walt. Um, but the number four is Allen Houston, you know. Um, yeah. you know, so that's that's pretty heady company. Um, when only those three guys are ahead of you. Um, you know, back to back all-stars. He's actually the last Nick guard to make an all-star team um in 2000, wow. 2001, um, which is crazy to think about. That's See, crazy, yeah. Crazy, crazy 20 years. <laughs> um Back-to-back 50-point games. I was just always a big fan of Houston um, as someone who considers themselves a shooter and loves to study the art <laughs> of shooting um, yeah. and form and, and elbow placement and, and fit alignment and follow-through. And, um, you know, Allen Houston always had the most beautiful jump shot of – still to this day, like I think the Knicks sent out a clip of on uh, 
an Instagram clip of him shooting in the gym somewhere. Um, and there's no doubt in my mind, like he could come off the bench and hit two threes um, uh, on Friday night if the Knicks needed him to. Um, on the defensive side of the floor, may be an issue. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I, in the grand scheme of things, I do think um, you know there's the you know he's kind of remembered more for a second contract, which he got overpaid. Um, you know, yeah. unfortunately, you know the uh, you know is the the, the the rule essentially. But you know his first deal when he first came was seven years, fifty five million, a very affordable deal. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I think in the grand scheme of things, H two O was a little bit underappreciated. Yeah, I, I love Allen Houston. I mean, you know, I always talk about how you know my my fandom when it comes to the Knicks starts with those late 90s teams like the bunch of people identify with 94 and going to the NBA finals and those uh, matchups with the Bulls like I was you know three four or five years old when that was happening so I was too young to understand what was going on but um you know 99 I'm eight years old I'm really starting to get into sports finally and the Knicks are going to the NBA finals and it's thanks to Allen Houston first round with the shot in Miami a shot that's hanging on my wall uh in my living room because of, oh, actually, not even in my living room. So the first thing you see when you walk in my apartment, it's the first thing right uh, on the left side of the wall is Allen Houston's shot. So that just speaks to just how much Houston means to me as a Knicks fan. But I do think he is underrated. Um, in many ways, I think about how he played and how much of the conversation was like, oh, he needs to take the basket more. He needs to be more aggressive. He's taking too many jump shots. And thinking about how he would be playing in this era. This is where oh, a situation where you think God. of certain eras and when guys were playing and how much different things would be. Like Allen Houston played in this era where you were getting this many open threes and you were encouraged to take this many jump shots. I mean, an 18 point score, he'd be a 25, 27 point scorer playing He's, in this today NBA because he was arguably the best shooter in the NBA at that time. Him, Pager, Ray Allen, those were among the best shooters. And Allen Houston was right there. So, uh, a absolute deadly shooter from three from mid range. I remember I was playing for, uh, and I don't know if I told the story in the podcast, but I was playing for the Riverside Church Hawks. I was playing AU ball. We got picked to play halftime of a Knicks game. And, uh, you know, prior to the game, you know, we're in shoot around. We get to see the guys work out and we're getting, you know, um, Louis Gosses Jr. like speaks to us. It was really cool. And Cal Ramsey, well, former great, obviously late great Cal Ramsey is speaking to all the parents and the kids as we're sitting in your front row at the garden and the players are going through their workouts. And as he's talking behind him is Allen Houston. I tell you, Tommy, Allen Houston must've made like 60 straight three pointers. I mean, this guy was shooting the lights out. And while Cal was talking at one point, he's like, I bet you guys have stopped listening to me because Allen Houston <laughs> is still making jumps out behind me. Right. And the whole crowd that was there was like laughing and stuff because I mean, that was one of the best shooting displays I'd ever seen. And I played ball up, you know, at that, that time, I'm probably like, uh, it's like 2001, it's probably like 10 up until, you know, I'm 18, you know, and I still never seen anything like that before. I mean, he was uh, a, just a textbook jump shooter. So so to see Allen Houston work before Knicks game getting ready and, and to see that display and what he could do was was mind boggling, something that I'll never forget as a, as a young player, especially as a, as a young Knicks fan. So. Uh, shout out to the great Allen Houston, man. Just, I wish you could have played in this era. Amen. And to, I and I hadn't thought of it till you just said it, so I just looked it up on Basketball Reference at literally as you were talking. Um, 1999, 2000, 2000, 2001, the two years he made the All-Star team, averaged 19.7 points, then 18.7 points. In 99, 2000, averaged three three-point attempts per game. Uh, 2000, 2001, 3.2 three-point attempts yeah. per game. To give you some context – uh, Rand Julius Randall, a six nine <laughs> burly power forward, averaged eight point three three point attempts this season. So, like, I, I'm sure if I just looked on the list of guys, like Kelly Olynyk, like guys who averaged more than three three point attempts oh, yeah. this season would boggle your mind. Um, yeah, you put Allen Houston in an environment where he takes nine three pointers a game. Um, you know, that's Clay Thompson three point numbers. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and Houston's probably in the Hall of Fame. So yeah, that 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 really is that really just speaks to just how the game can change and how certain guys are just built for different eras. So uh, and, and I did mention the Pat Riley uh, stat about him reaching 700 wins. I always think of Pat Riley as a very interesting figure in Nick's history. He's so hated for, for good reason <laughs> for him just leaving and dodging the team. Uh, they were, you know, in the middle of title contention. Do you think if Riley would have stayed, the Knicks would have ever won a title, or do you think that he got out at the right time in his eyes to, to go to Miami? 
Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things where a team and a player reach their apex and then it's just it, it, it diminishing marginal returns thereafter. Um, right. I think they were ready to hear a new voice. I think they had tuned it. They had heard all the motivational ploys and the trips to Reno before West Coast trip and all the other little things that Riley um, challenging. There's only so many times you can you know get in a player's face and challenge them um, before they start to tune that stuff out. So I actually think Van Gundy mm. gave them a better chance to win once Riley left town. Interesting. Yeah, it's a it's a it's an interesting thing because you're right. Riley was not nah, look, I mean Van Gundy also was uh, a guy who would ride guys too, but yeah. not like Riley. Riley is yeah. notorious for being, you know, a really tough guy kind of coach. And you're right, like that style and branding worked for like that apex of that era and what yes. was happening with the NBA. And as the NBA was going to soon shift from that, maybe not immediately, but it was coming they probably needed a different coach. I, as much as I love Jeff, I do wonder what would have happened. They went to a coach and well, to be fair, they did go to a coach who tried yeah. to minimize Ewing's um, importance on the team and, and did not go very well in Don Nelson. But I do wonder had they made, maybe Don Nelson wasn't the right guy because Don Nelson has a certain approach that I think wasn't right in New York city, but had they gone to a coach who maybe would have embraced maybe Ewing having a more diminished role and found a way to kind of, make that transition a little easier. I wonder if they could have eventually gotten over to the modern top. Uh, Jeff was great. He was an awesome defensive coach. Um, I think he was a guy people respected because he kind of grinded his way up. So yeah. he had some intangibles that you just couldn't couldn't teach. So in some ways, maybe he just was the right guy. And of course, he took him to the NBA Finals. But that's always the one thing I wonder in terms of that era because Ewing was so clearly on the decline, and yet he was still so much the focal point of the team. I wonder if they had a guy who – maybe would have shifted that and find a way to, to maybe embrace uh, maybe getting Allen Houston more touches and, and embrace some of these other guys on the team that maybe things would have been different. But, uh, you know, it's funny. Jeff always t- says that that team in 97 that, like, you know, got screwed by the whole P.J. Brown thing. He feels like that was the next best chance at um, beating the Bulls. And when you look at that roster, I mean, it was a really good team. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was kind of like, a, in some ways, kind of like a mesh of, like, the – 94 team and then what we would get in 99 you know it's kind of yep. like the perfect kind of combination of both those teams and you know they were hammering the heat until that happened so i guess we'll never know but pat riley remains a very interesting figure in nick's history and um a guy that as we saw when randall hit that shot and um riley was standing in the in the sideway in the side tunnel looking disgusted as he nick fans have not forgotten they've not forgotten what uh, pat riley did to them now some what 25 20 something years ago at this point so Happy birthday to Alan Houston. Thank you guys again for checking us out. This episode of Orange and Blue Bloods, an uh, a, uh, Odyssey original, WFAN original. You can get wherever you get your podcasts, including the free Odyssey app. You can also catch us on YouTube as well, WFAN and Odyssey Sports Channel, where you'll find that. Tommy, tell the people where they can find you. At Tommy Beer on Twitter, and uh, check out the What's on Tap newsletter. Definitely do that. Catch me on Twitter, EJ underscore Stewart, Instagram, actually EJ. Make sure you hit the auto-download feature on your streaming service on this podcast. So thank you guys again so much for checking us out. For Tommy, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.